Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton here on Talk Radio. Uh, so before the break, I promised you a publishing plethora. That's 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 <laughs> yeah. the word, isn't it? I was looking for some alliteration. I couldn't quite get that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we are really lucky because this week we are joined in the studio not by one, not by two, but by three amazing, brilliant book women. Uh, first up, the lovely Lisa Milter, Milton, publisher extraordinaire from HarperCollins. Hi, Lisa. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm thrilled. Thank you. <laughs> we also have Catherine Mayer, fantastic nonfiction author, campaigner, journalist, all-round genius, wonderful woman. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and Melanie you can say McGrath. That again if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie McGrath, fiction author, and just you're going to teach us all how to get published, right? Please That's help. That's exactly what's happening. <laughs> 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 so, where did that come from? It was a little late, but it got there eventually. <laughs> Lisa, tell us what exactly. So, I picked you up as the woman who basically gives the money for the book which is true (laughs) what is a publisher why do we need one what do you do how can you help somebody who wants to get a book published tell us a little bit about it so a publisher is um a is never one person so the first thing to say is a publisher is always a team so it's a team of people who find great books and work with authors to take those books to market so you have different kinds of publishers you would have you would have fiction publishers non-fiction publishers and children's publishers you also then have academic or business how do we work really we work very closely with talent I'm surrounded by talent <laughs> um, and our job is to try and find the best way to share those stories and share those voices for me, it is really about finding great women, mostly. There are some men. All the men at HQ are definitely feminists. But what we really want to do is to share stories that wouldn't otherwise be, sto- be, sh- be shared to allow women to have a voice that they might not <laughs> otherwise have. And in fiction, it's about making finding stories with, with characters where... We're actually allowing readers to understand something that might be happening to them and see it on the page. And for non-fiction, it's about taking the lid off everything. The lid's been put on us wherever we are. It's about time I hand it over to somebody else. But I think, basically, I am here to take the lid off. Take the lid off. Catherine, 
taking the lid off. So as a non-fiction author, do you think that's what you do? Is it about taking the lid off a subject? Yes, absolutely. Um, And as Lisa also said, it's about telling stories that otherwise might not be told. You know, you talk about fiction as storytelling, but actually when you're talking um, nonfiction, this is also finding ways to tell stories about what's really happening so that people engage with it and potentially also so that you make change. And something, uh, it's interesting, I think, to say how how Lisa and I came to find each other which is that I had written a best-selling book and publishers were coming to me and saying, what's your next book going to be? You know, I was in that that privileged position. You've had a bestseller. People are asking you to write something else. And I kept saying, I'd like to write a biography of Angela Merkel. (laughs) And they were going, oh, we're not interested in that because the metric that publishers work to and the publishing industry is very male-dominated at the top end, Mm -hmm. but then lots of women generally in the the lower ranks. Um, But they were saying books about Angela Merkel won't sell because books about women don't, don't sell, they think, and books by women, they think, don't sell, and the combination they thought was bad. And my then agent happened to mention this to Lisa and Lisa said she wanted to meet me. So we <laughs> so we ended up having a meeting and out of that meeting came not a biography about Angela Merkel, but a book that has a large chunk about Angela Merkel in it, Attack of the 50-Foot Women, How yeah. Gender Equality Can Save the World. But that's literally because Lisa heard that and was interested and wanted to kind of explore these ideas. But you need a publisher who will do that. I would officially buy the biography of Angela Merkel. Just <laughs> so would I, actually. Yeah. And we have discussed that subsequently. It's all about timing, I think. <laughs> um, Melanie, fiction is obviously, it's it's different. Is it, I imagine it to be incredibly, incredibly difficult because you are essentially getting somebody to try and buy into something that exists only in your brain. How do you go about doing that? You just have to have a really big brain. <laughs> <laughs> No. Uh, well, actually, I write nonfiction and fiction, and and um, in some ways, fiction's sort of easier because you have a clean slate. You know, you could just start where you want to start, um, and it's all storytelling. It's all about telling a story that your reader can feel gripped by, and that they can kind of relate to some aspect of their life. And I, I, I think that's. In particular, that's why women read. Women want to see some aspect of themselves represented because, let's face it, out there in the world, we're not represented. So that's what I hope to do in in fiction. So I I start with, I mean, in Giving the Child, I started with someone who had a psychological thriller. I started with someone who had a mental health issue that they'd got as a result of pregnancy that they can't ever get out from under. And I think a lot of women who've had experiences with mental health will relate to that, you know, that forever after they're constantly questioning themselves and also being questioned. Nat? So going back to what you were saying around commissioning and people saying actually books for women don't sell, how do you go from having this idea, finding a publisher and then everyone together saying this is what's going to work for an audience? So a book about a a, a mother... Uh, a book about about politics and gender equality. How does the idea form and then end up on the shelf? Because I think lots of people think you know, someone came up with an idea and a book lands 
a day later actually it's sort of a two-year process oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we all want to sigh here it's a very long process which is by the way why it's so nice um i'm sorry i'm going to keep bigging up lisa because it's so nice working with a publisher who you can really work with um but it but it's a painful process i mean it's iterative as well isn't it i yeah. think people think you write a book and the script is finished and you hand it in and it goes to the printer. Meanwhile, someone does a nice cover, a nice cover, <laughs> and then the book is done. But actually, the the work on the script can take yeah. months. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you might do, well, when you've got great writers like we have here, <laughs> you don't have to do that very often. But often what happens is that an author will be editing themselves a lot. But then you've still got to copy edit. That's fact checking. You still then have to proofread. We don't expect to And have I always land you with a huge lawyer's read. <laughs> <laughs> every, every book I've ever written has had a mass, massively uh, intensive lawyer lawyering <laughs> afterwards, which is the fun part to, yeah. Yeah. to the wire. I think it's actually it's not often because the focus is often so much, the public focus is often so much on the author. Mm-hmm. You know, it's us who go out and do the events and go to the festival and all of that but it, it is absolutely a team effort and um, again I'm, I'm bigging up Lisa now that she's got a great team <laughs> she's got a great team who are uh, really responsive and work with you and make you feel like you're, you're, you have a kind of home and publishing not all publishing feels like that yeah. Emma I just had a question for you, Lisa. I know we've met you before and you're super passionate about getting women's stories out there. How much of a battle has that been? Because, you know, there's lots of books that other publishers are like, no, no one's interested in that. Um, You know, you're putting books out there that I'm sure plenty of people have gone, no, there's not a market for that and proving them wrong. How hard has that been for you? Well, actually, I am very lucky because at HarperCollins, which is the, the company that I work for, so my imprint is HQ, but HarperCollins is, is the is the company. They are incredibly supportive. My job, obviously, is to make money. It's a commercial endeavour. So if we can sell books and make money, then I think we'll be able to do that. Interestingly, I thought we were in a zone that was very underrepresented. So HQ is only just over a year old, but we came up with the idea just over two years ago. And now I notice you have a sleigh on your lane sampler there. (laughs) Have to say, I lost the auction for the sleigh on the lane, ladies. I think they're amazing. And I really wanted to acquire that book. But what is really interesting, I think, is that now the appetite for women's stories within... UK publishing and also in the US is really growing. So there are there are lots of very bright, very intelligent women who are in important roles, who are gatekeepers, who are really moving this forward. So luckily, Slaying Your Lane is a HarperCollins title. So it's with my <laughs> colleagues in Fourth Estate. So I can be a delighted sort of sibling or stepsister or something <laughs> and support it. But I think we have really noticed that that is changing. And it is, it's difficult um, I, I was just going to say, I mean, for me, one of the interesting things, I'm, as you know, I'm a judge on the Women's Prize at yeah. the moment, so the Women's Prize for Fiction. And that, that. and that, for me, has been an extraordinary experience because, you know, women's fiction or women's writing generally is so often kind of treated, A, as a, as a separate category, you know, like you never hear a man described as a man writer, um, <laughs> so true, you know, yeah. whereas woman writer and then all sorts of things attached to that. Like in some way it's 
less important because it's all about women's issues, you know, (laughs) just kind of nonsense. And the thing that's been so fascinating about doing the Women's Prize is not just the extraordinary stellar quality. You would never think that you were reading a batch of books that was chosen on gender because there's just nothing lacking within that selection, but also the range the extraordinary range there. And so what you're really realising is that until now, until there have been people like Lisa getting these stories out, how much we've been missing out on. Mm. That's what the Women's Mm. Prize shows. That's what all of this shows. Yeah, I think something else is changing too. I think uh, in my genre, crime, I think it's particularly the case, but I think across the board that men are coming into books written by women in a beginning to, in a way that 10 years ago, very few men bothered to read a book by a woman. Um, and I certainly do events and things where guys come up to me and say, oh, I've, um, I've, I, read, I read your book and I realised that women actually have got really good, <laughs> interesting things to say. So I've Who been knew? reading some other books by women. Um, and but all yeah. the research still says that men will not read book, books, books by women. Well, we are to gonna change. we're gonna ask why. Actually, guys, if you're listening and you ha- you know the answer why, <laughs> feel free to give us a call and explain yourselves. Uh, <laughs> the number is oh three double four four double nine one thousand. Or if you've got any questions about writer life for these amazing women, do give us a call and ask. We are gonna continue this. I want to know more about the women's prize. I definitely want to know more about how do we get more men into reading women's fiction and nonfiction. Um, but mainly I want to know, how do I become a member of the Killer Women Club? Melody <laughs> is going to tell us about that. Why do men feel they can't read books for women? And Melanie, you were saying you're starting to find men coming up to you and go, oh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed that. What do you think's changing? I think, um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm tempted to say that men have discovered that women are human. <laughs> it's taken a while. I don't know if we've got that far, to be honest. <laughs> I think I think in my genre particularly, um, it's actually it's been dominated by women for a long time. You know, Agatha Christie um, and uh, Ruth Rendell, and I think men are only just kind of catching up with that um, and recognizing that if they like crime and they want to read some great crime, some of it is going to be written by women, whether they like it or not. <laughs> Emma. Yeah, I just had a question. Wasn't it a thing that there were books that were written by women, but just the initial would be put on and the last name? Have we seen the end of those days or not quite? No, we definitely haven't. And some people want to do it. So J.K. Rowling is the really famous example. So she submitted her book under her name but actually asked for it to be published as J.K. Rowling, didn't she? She was asked, she was asked, it was suggested to her that she does that, that she did that. And it was suggested to me that I do that too with my first book. Really? But, I, but yeah, but, but I was already a journalist writing under my own name, so I refused to do it. But I was told that the disadvantage of having a female uh, name meant that I then needed to get endorsements for the cover that were all from men. So that's what I did with my first book. If you look at it, there are no female endorsements on the cover. It's all men saying, you can read this book even if you're a man. (laughs) (laughs) But your second book, Attack of the 50-Foot Women, this is all about women. That's my third book, by the way. Sorry. No, 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 it's fine. (laughs) Um, All about women, all for women. Did you have a kind of, did you have men reading it? Have have you (laughs) had any reviews from them? Yes, 
Um, but I not nearly okay. This is going to sound like sour grapes, but it yep. didn't get it. My book is a really big ideas book. It's um, I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to break free of the gender confines and I'm going to big up my own book. It, it is yeah. it is a really clever look at the world that is full of very big ideas. It is the kind of book that should be treated seriously on all of the kinds of programmes that, that pick up on big idea books. There were some big idea books by men out at the same time, some of which were posited as big ideas and were actually very small ideas and very old <laughs> ideas and those books got the kind of coverage that my book should have had my book went straight to women's hour now I like women's hour but my previous books had gone straight to the today program yeah. you know straight to the to to the those other programs and this is the way that the media also responds if they see a book that is about feminism or has women in the title mm -hmm. has a woman author they mm -hmm. will treat it totally differently and therefore it also got fewer broad it didn't get broadsheet reviews really it got really nice stuff funnily enough in in the tabloids but the but the broadsheets would not take it seriously because it was what it was and um you know it's a book about politics it's a book about economics it's a book about the future yeah. Um, but it says women. Mm -hmm. And when I'm out and about doing book events, I get all these men coming up to me wanting me to sign the book. And I think, great, a man's <laughs> going to read it. And then they say, will you sign it for my wife? Oh, no. <laughs> it is astonishing because I remember being in WH Smith a couple of years ago and looking at the business book section, 50-odd books on display, mm. not one was written by a woman. Still the same. Still the same. Still We've awesome. just published June Sarpong's book, Diversify, oh, yeah, which yeah, is a brilliant great. book. Mm. Um, and she and I have discussed this a lot about the fact that she just can't see women represented in any of those bays of books. And then we were really struggling with how the book should look in terms of the cover, which is so important because that's how everybody first views a book. Because June wanted the book to look like it made sense next to the male business books mm -hmm. in, in WH Smith's at the airport, at City Airport, for example. But actually then I wanted it to appeal to us, people who are genuinely going to read it and want to make a difference. It's a real challenge. Do you think, is there um, a move towards women publishing, or women's publishing growing kind of through e-books and online and word of mouth rather than that traditional in the airport WH Smith? No. Um, no. That's a face that says no, isn't it? Yeah. Except that June. I mean, June and I were <laughs> June and I were talking just a couple of days ago about the the word of mouth stuff, the going out and doing festivals. Mm, that works yes. really well. All of us women authors. Yeah. There you go, compound noun again. <laughs> yeah. Women authors, um, authors who happen to be women. When we go out and do live events, um, because there has been. A shortage of, of this mm. the kind of conversations that get unlocked are extraordinary yeah. so it's kind of you can hand sell the book mm. if, if you're prepared to cross the, the country yeah. uh, back and forth to everything everybody wants to engage I think we're, women are really great at uh, talking about um, their enthusiasms with each other too so women are great at creating book clubs and um, creating kind of a, f a fan environment uh, in a way that guys might feel, you know, they're too cool for school. <laughs> um, so 
I do think word of mouth does help enormously. Um, having said that, I think <coughs> that um, more and more uh, it's about brand names, just as everything else in life is. And um, it's it's become easier for men to establish themselves as brand names. And I think uh, in the world of books, and I think one of the reasons for that is that women are often taken on a book-by-book basis, mm. whereas the men are often seen in terms of a literary career. Um, Lisa's that nodding. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. But I've got an idea. Okay. So we need people who set up those book clubs and help women unite together. So what about the Badass Women's Hour Book Club? Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, it is like a book club already, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, it's basically happening right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> Emma. I had a question around the stories. You know, obviously there's a beginning of what seems like a bit of a revolution in terms of, you know, um, women publishing. What stories do you still think are missing? What stories are yet to be to be told? Oh my God, millions, <laughs> millions of stories. Um, I, I, I mean, I think we've barely scratched the surface of women's experience in contemporary society, in Western society. But we also have to think about women worldwide. I mean... And history. Yeah. I mean, the women in history, the people are trying desperately to catch up. But, you know, that most women were written out of history. So trying to recover those stories is, is a huge work in itself. Well, I saw a story today about how most women, like really important women that we've all heard of, weren't even given an obituary at the point of their in death. In the New York Times. The is New, that what the, it was? It's the, the New, New York, York Times, Times is going back and, and revisiting these incredibly famous women who were even famous at the time of their deaths, but because they were women, they weren't obituarized. Yeah. I think also there's a whole there's a whole range of women's experience, which is still kind of taboo that people find... Even women find very difficult to talk about with each other, like periods, like the menopause, mm-hmm. like I think. Um, Guess what almost, we've just been talking yeah. about before we came in. Both of those over, over, over dinner, yeah. <laughs> um, and above all else, masturbation. Yeah, yes. women never no. talk about masturbation. Men talk about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you, my greatest moment in my career was going on BBC Breakfast. Sorry, I recommend that. On BBC Breakfast and saying that we needed to teach female sexual pleasure in education. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. My career moment. Right. Um, I, I love that equation with female sexual pleasure and masturbation. Yeah. 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 That's where it is. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, Catherine, I said we would talk a little bit more about the Women's Prize, but people who haven't heard of it, tell us what it is and how it came to be and why it's important. Um, it's been going since the 90s. I can't remember the exact year of starting. I'm sorry to Kate Moss, who may be <laughs> listening, who started the prize, who's herself a wonderful novelist. Um, and it started because there is such a tiny proportion of women's books, even now, in the main, you know, the, the not the main prizes, because the Women's Prize is now one of the main prizes, but women were just totally underrepresented in book prizes and and even in the the submissions for book prizes so it was at every stage of the way it was that 
the women weren't being commissioned. When they were being commissioned, their books weren't being taken as seriously, so those books were then not being put in for the prizes, and then the judges were not taking them as seriously. Mm. So it's a matter of representation, and it's like all of these things, you know, it's not that one wants to have these separate categories, it's that the separate categories are the only way in order to bring these things to a wider public if I may make a tiny political point, and um, we haven't mentioned that I'm the co-founder of the Women's Equality Party. Yeah, who we love. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but one of the very first things that we did was draw up core objectives. And one of the core objectives um, we shorthand is equal media. But the reason we're talking about everything, media, entertainment, you know, writing. And part of the problem is that it's a feedback loop. So... Because you don't have these stories out here, people don't know about the stories. It reinforces all of the old stereotypes. You just see this terribly narrow representation of women. And um, in order to create change, we have to open things up and we have to use every tool at our disposal to do that to have a news media that covers women properly which is why this program is so fantastic Um, but also you know in in publishing both non-fiction and fiction the the potential is there and some such spectacular stuff is there but it's also about getting it to a wider audience and that's where the women's prize is so fantastic What comes first, though? Is it women running the imprints so that we can make those decisions? Or is it women going down the route of self-publishing? Is it women building up their profiles so that they can get men to commission them? How do we get into the mainstream at that level? Which bit has to work first? Oh, all of it. (laughs) Um, Actually, I I think I should just say there are loads of brilliant men in British publishing who are commissioning women. Most of my colleagues are feminist, and there are. I think there is a big difference in twenty first century publishing. I do feel mm. that, and so I feel like I'm, I'm, I don't feel alone, and I don't feel like it's only women who are doing this. And I think we need to use all of the routes. And I think maybe it's about. Maybe the barriers aren't necessarily in the publisher. Maybe the barriers well, my are in... my point about the media yeah. then, you mm. know, it comes into a world that may not be as receptive to it, may not give it the airtime. So it's kind of... That's why, that's why I was answering everything. It's... I mean, one person like Lisa, as you can see, can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But you need that difference then all the way along the line because it's all very well her commissioning great books... But those great books have to be able to find the audience. Yeah, I, th- I think it's also about women noticing uh, when they are themselves subject to those unconscious internal prejudices. So I was talking to a friend of mine who is a, a feminist and a reviewer on the National Press, um, and she, I, I asked her how many um, books she consciously reviews that are by women versus men. And she said, you know what, I've, n- I've no idea, I've never sure. checked it. And she went back and she checked it, and she was shocked to see that she had reviewed about two times as many mm. books by... Wow. So I think as women, we have to be vigilant constantly. We have to notice, because the men aren't going to do it for us. We have to do it. Mm. We have to notice um, that uh, panels are too heavily uh, uh, geared towards men. We have to notice that... I mean, I still find, um, when I'm listening to the radio and a panel comes on, I don't know, Question Time or whatever, and it's all women, I still think, oh, 
that's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. I'm still shocked when I turn on QI and there's more than one woman on it at a time. Mm, yeah. like, oh, that's Sandy's doing. I think Sandy's still shocked by that. <laughs> There might be a generational difference. Do you think? Is yeah. it changing? I, well, look at Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. Mm. I mean, that is an extraordinary phenomenon, being read by girls and boys. But maybe there's going to be a generational shift. We've been talking all things women and publishing, and it's felt like it's felt a bit tough for women in publishing, I'm going to be honest. But Melanie, you've got a fantastically successful book out. You are making it work. Should we? Is it all doom and gloom if you want to be a female author? Surely no, not. No, no. I mean, how can it possibly be when seventy percent of books, fiction anyway, are read by women? So we're oh. in a great place. Um, That's a great stat. You know, we have a market. Um, I think that you just need to persist, and um, most difficult for a lot of women, you need to have confidence in yourself. Mm. Um, and uh, I would say, you know, to anyone trying to um, write a book uh, just keep on at it and fake it till you make it because the 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 list of books that got rejected you know Watership Down 1984 I mean there are so many Harry Potter and the Harry Potter, um, that got rejected particularly books by women um, and that's a whole other topic there have been stories about women who've who've submitted books to agents under a man's name and they've been asked to submit a full manuscript and they've submitted the same book under a woman's name and they've they've been dropped um so i think things are changing but you you've got to be out there you know and you've got to you've got to be in it to win it is it also a little bit about finding a tribe and people who can support you because I have to ask you about the amazing uh-huh. <laughs> tribe that you have created, which yes. is called Killer Women. Yes. Tell us about that. I love my Killer Women. Um, <laughs> well, uh, about a couple of years ago, um, I thought, do you know what? This, this bookmark's a bit lonely. I mean, you, sit, <laughs> you sit in your garret with your cat and filling up a screen. And um, we do, we do uh, the world of crime writers, we're very collegiate, actually. We're very chatty and support mutually supportive but you tend to see people only at events you know when you're kind of on and um you might um pass through the green room and that's really all you see of them so um i thought well why not set up a, a group um with my co-founder louise miller who's another crime writer why not set up a group just to drink a lot of wine <laughs> a huge amount of wine and talk about crime and that so killer women was born and there are now uh, 21 of us um, people, uh, some household names like Paula Hawkins who wrote Girl on yeah. a Train and other people who were much earlier on in their careers and we get together, we do events together, we support each other's work if we're having a bad day we might you know, <clears throat> get a, a little lift from someone at, uh, a fellow killer woman at the end of the day um, and also we're doing that thing Commercially, we're doing that thing that is so hard in publishing is we're creating a collective brand. Mm. Um, so we all have our separate careers and um, some of us are, you know, extremely successful. In the summer, uh, last summer, Erin Kelly with he, he Said, She Said and Paula Hawkins Into the Water were number one and two in the bestsellers list, both killer women. So we were incredibly proud of that. Um, and we run a festival as well for in London for women who are interested in 
all aspects of crime, actually, not just... I am there. That's <laughs> amazing. It's, it's brilliant. We've got... Um, it's in October, and this year we're going to have a woman spy who's 15 oh, years in MI5, talking about um, what that was like, and um, various other... Uh, a detective who broke a, a huge serial killer case, and so we have... Yeah, we... We, we 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 play, but um, I think crime and wine is the. <laughs> <laughs> but you but you don't you don't have to have actually done something criminal to be part of this. Although if you're thinking about it and you want to get away with it, this is the place to be. <laughs> Lisa, Melanie um, talked there about creating a brand. When you're looking for authors, how important is their brand? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think for often it is important if it exists but actually we really wrestle with when the author is the brand or the title is the brand or 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 a series can even be the brand I think increasingly everyone's expected to have a great platform and a huge number of followers on Instagram and Twitter and I think that is very hard for a lot of people who write for a living because actually you want to put your words on the page you des- you don't necessarily want to be the kind of person who's on your phone smartphone taking photos the whole time so i think the job of the publisher is really to make those connections with communities so it's about understanding how the industry works so if you're a crime writer knowing where the most crime books are sold and how to actually get to those reviewers who will then put those books in front of people it's a very it's a very strange world when you're expecting an author to already have a brand when they're starting out in their life. And yet, conversely, with nonfiction, with something, someone like Catherine, I mean, she's much better connected than I'm ever going to be. <laughs> so for me, then, it's about facilitation and just making sure we've got the book in the right place and we're making, those, we're making the book sell, really. Catherine, you're a journalist by trade, but a journalist is a couple of thousand words. A book is tens of thousands mm. of words. What's that process of actually writing a book like? Is it, as Melanie said, you know, in your garret with your cat or was it more collaborative? How did you find it? I was just, it's definitely not collaborative in the writing process. I mean, again, that depends because there are certain writers I know who will go with bits to their publisher all the way through or whatever. Whereas what I tend to do is write the book and then show it and then take notes Mm -hmm. and then make edits. But I, I really don't want to talk about it because part of until I've done that because part of the thinking process is in the actual writing, and it's a very solitary process. I turn from being uh, somebody who can get dressed and come into a studio just about <laughs> to somebody who lives in their pajamas and grunts uh, and. I write every book that I've written, I have written in four months, which means um, I also become a complete insomniac. I will, my brain won't switch off. So I usually will get a couple of, maybe three or four hours sleep a night. But then I wake up at four or at five, absolutely raring to go. And then we'll just keep writing right the way through the day lie on the floor do ungainly exercises to try and stop myself from seizing up and then there's nothing like a nice beer in the evening to get an extra few hundred words out Um, and uh, and so it goes but for four months and I literally I won't take a day off if I if if I can help it I think in all the books I've written I will have taken maybe one whole day off in the entire time Um, and it's for me it's just like what you have to get into the zone because also the painful I'm sure Melanie's going to 
recognize this. The starting a book is painful. Um, the first the first bit of writing is when you're really wrestling with it. And then the more you do it, the more you get into the zone, the more it flows, the more the more you're there. And then you're just scared of doing things that disrupt that flow. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Melanie, is that how it is for you? Is it the, is yeah, the beginning the worst? I've because I've, I've, I've published books for a long time now. I've got to to know my process quite well. And I have to be really kind of ripe. So I think an awful lot. I think about I think about the characters. I think about what they're going to be doing. And so uh, it, when I'm doing that, quite often I'm not actually got pen to page, so to speak. But it's completely in my head. So at the point at which I start, it's kind of all there. But for the last... Um, month or so I actually move out of my home <laughs> where do you go I I go to I go to a little bolt hole and where I eat the same thing every day um in fact I'm there at the moment I have been wearing this jumpsuit I'm proud <laughs> to say for five days solid um I eat the same every day I don't wash uh, I don't have to attend to anyone else's needs uh I can be up at all kinds of strange hours of the day and night and actually, at that point, I don't really want to really engage with the world because the world is the world in my head. It's the world yeah. of the story. Exactly. And I, I don't want to be dragged out of it by, you know, annoying boyfriends who want you to make, go make toast and tea. Or even bringing you a cup of tea is a nice thing to do and it's sod off. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we, as a reader, really benefit because... Mm. This intensity, it plays out for our experience when we're reading because you, you are in a world that is totally encapsulating. You are lost in that world and everything makes sense in the world and that's why we have these brilliant writers writing such incredible books and why we're very lucky to get to read them. Uh, Emma? I was going to say, it's so insightful to your, your, your process. In terms of writing crime... Like, have you got a background in crime? Because whenever I've, whenever I've watched or read a crime story, they're normally really intricate, like super, super smart, like, you know, and I'm just like, how do, how do are you just naturally good at doing that? Have you had a fascination? Like, how do you get really good at doing those, like, crime stories? Uh, I think you have to be really um, anal. <laughs> <laughs> You have to really care that um, that something fits with something else that might pay off later, and um, it's like playing a game with your reader actually, because re readers are readers of crime fiction, uh, in particular, I think, are really sophisticated and they understand the genre incredibly well, and so you're engaging when you're writing a crime novel, you're engaging in a game with the reader, and it's the reader is. Um, are you going to guess? Are you not going to guess? Mm. Am I going to misdirect you? Um, when am I going to put in the surprises? When is the twist going to happen? All of that stuff. So I'm always kind of thinking about, um, uh, you know, I sort of rub my hands in glee and think, <laughs> you, you won't get this one. You won't see this one. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But in terms of the, the sort of technical stuff, um, you, uh, we, well, we use all sorts of experts. So forgive me, the child, for example, it was set, is set in a, a psychiatric institute partly, and um, the one of the people I worked with was the head of forensic psychiatry at the Maudsley Hospital to make sure that um, I got all the details about uh, uh, it, it revolves around child, in fact, ch- child um, personality disorders, uh, to make sure that I got all the details of that absolutely right. And we often work with police and um, p- criminal justice p- professionals who are all also keen to make sure that we get those details right because um, for most of the public, uh, what they see of the police is mostly what they see in crime drama and crime fiction. Mm. Um, so they're very keen to work with us to make sure that, um, that our readers have a, a a real sense of what actually happens. Having said that, um, you know, DNA testing doesn't take an hour as it does in, in, <laughs> in CSI. Um, so you know, you have you have to use a it's kind of a little bit of license there. Yeah. Matt? So I'm after some tips, both tips <laughs> for writing a book, but also tips for uh, books to read. I really struggle with fiction, if I'm being honest. The last fiction book I probably read was Mr. Maybe by Jane Green. And that's not, that is actually the last p- fiction book I read, which tells you how not great my fiction reading is. I read nonfiction. So what what would your tips be for, for books to read? Um, it, can, it, can, it can be either, but also a tip for anyone that's thinking about writing a book, what's one thing they should start thinking about or do? Catherine, we'll start with you and we'll work our way around. Uh, on the book thing, I mean, the biggest thing is do it, is write. Um, you know, there, there are... I I think um, you need to have something to show a publisher. Um, I have seen a lot of people turn their blogs into books in the last few years and there are various ways that you can... You can start yourself writing if you're not already doing it. But you need, you need, if you aren't somebody who already has a track record, you need to have something that you can show a publisher that's going to convince them. So a blog is a really good way. Um, and in terms of um, books I'd recommend, conveniently, we just came out with the long list for the Women's Prize. <laughs> so there are, there are 16 absolutely stonkingly good books listed out on the Women's Page, uh, Women's Prize webpage. Um, so the address? I, oh, 
You'd have thought I would, but um, if you but Google, Google will have it. Google women's <laughs> Google, yes, Mister Google <laughs> will give you the women's prize for fiction. But um, you know, I can I can probably list most of them, but I'm worried <laughs> that I'd miss some out. Um, but but as I say, um, they are those books are life changingly good. So. And by the way, last year's winner was The Power, which was was absolutely amazing. Did you read that? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) She hasn't read a book for a long time. So, I mean, do you know what the story of The Power is? It's on my shelf. Someone else recommended it. And again, if it's not, I I struggle with anything that's nonfiction. I'm being being really honest. Have you tried listening to fiction on audio? Mm. Emma has recommended (laughs) that I do that today. Yes, I love audio books. Yeah. yeah, me too. Uh Lisa, because we're a little short on time, book recommendations, one tip for one, wannabe writers. One tip is confidence. I think back to the point Mel said, lo- a lot of women struggle with confidence and don't believe what they're doing is good enough. So write and then share it. Be confident. In terms of one book, impossible for me to have. There's a reason I have one child. I can't pick favourites. <laughs> <laughs> How diplomatic of you. <laughs> Mel. Uh, my tip, I think, is just to read and read into the area that you want to write into. Um, see what other writers are doing with it. Uh, know the world of it. Know what's successful. Um, try and unpick why that might be successful and the other one might not be. Uh, I think um, I teach quite writing quite a lot too, and that's the one thing that people come to me with. Often uh, it's such a simple thing that they don't read enough into the area that they want to write. Um, Books, gosh, there are so many. Um, and I, I actually, I would say to, to Natalie, crime is a great uh, genre to get into if you like fiction, but that's, that has some kind of reality base because so much of crime fiction is based on actual real things that happen. Um, I loved Erin Kelly's book, uh, He Said, She Said. It's coming out in paperback, I think, in about uh, a month or so, which is all based around a sexual assault trial. So very, very topical. So go out and get that and read it right now. (laughs) And we can, of course, give you a couple of recommendations because, of course, you should be reading Give Me the Child by Melanie McGrath or, of course, Attack of the 50-Foot Women, How Gender Equality Can Save the World by Catherine Mayer because they are both brilliant. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us. You've been wonderful. We've learned a lot. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. And if, like Catherine, you are a bit of an insomniac when the work gets going, do you know what? perfect timing because we've got a sleep specialist coming up next that is here with badass women's hour xl on talk radio mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 